Let me open us in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this day. Uh, God, as we look at money and look at uh, the biblical perspective on money, uh, let us glean your insights and hear what you have uh, for us to learn and know and see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You know, as we come to money, and uh, in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 19. It's a passage that you've heard uh, and read before. You know, essentially, uh, two, uh, uh, two of the commandments, uh, the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, have to do with possessions and money. Thou shalt not steal, and thou shalt not covet, right? Uh, the steal is don't take what don't, doesn't belong to you. Thou shalt not covet will probably keep you from doing what Ron said, uh, which is take home pay plus 3%, right? Uh, we end up overspending uh, what we have. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 20, 24. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin can destroy. I love that word vermin. I just love saying that. I, I just wish I could work it in my everyday vocabulary a little more. Where moth and vermin. What does anybody have a picture of a vermin? Do they have fur on them? Or are they little? Or are they small? No one knows. Is it. Mike, what does a vermin look like? My metal sucks. Yeah, my metal sucks. Okay, who's ever editing this, take that out before we release it. Actually, actually, never mind, leave it in there. I didn't say Mike's last name. So any middle son with a dad named Mike, you might be the vermin of all. So uh, uh, anyway, he says, vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moths and vermin, there's that word again, do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He says, this is Jesus, you cannot serve both God and money. You know, as we think about that, I'm going to talk you through a couple ideas. Two, two clear things is, is at the end, Jesus says, you can't serve money and God at the same time. That doesn't mean you can't love God and have money. But it says you cannot serve God and money at the same time. We can't do that. The other thing he says, notice he says, uh, where your treasure is, there, you, there will your heart be also. Well, that can, be, that can, that can come, happen in one of two ways. Uh, either where you put your money, your heart's going to follow, or wherever your heart is, your money's going to follow. Regardless of which way it is, here's what is an irrefutable truth. Your money and your heart will end up in the same place. Did you get that? Your money and your heart will end up in the same place. And, and so there have been times over the years and over the seasons as a pastor that, um, that you, you have somebody that shows up to church all the time, but their money never shows up with them. You pretty much know their heart's not here either. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Because your heart and your money will always end up in the same place. Take that uh, commencement speaker we just talked about, dropped $40 million on those kids. He probably knew very few of those kids. But guess what? His heart was with that college. His heart was with graduates of that college because he, was, he had just gotten an honorary doctorate. He's probably a graduate of that college. So guess what? His heart was there. You know, what we don't know is, is maybe that, that, uh, that, that university, that school had made a bunch of personal loans. They knew they were never going to get paid back. You know, so that was his way of giving to the school, and he just didn't know. But here's the reality, guys. Um, your money will show up at the same place your heart is, and your heart is going to show up where your money is.
money is. And so as we journey forward, uh, let, me, uh, let me give you, I think there are two extremes, okay? And you might want to write these two down. I think there are two Christian extremes as it relates to money. And I want you to know both, both extremes are wrong, all right? Uh, you heard me talk about one. I'm going to talk about it sec second here in a few minutes. Uh, I think there are some people that lean towards the extreme and they almost preach a poverty gospel. How many of you know what I'm talking about? A poverty gospel that uh, being broke is next to godliness. Remember the old cleanliness is next to godliness? That they would teach something like, hey, if you, ha if you have money, you don't love Jesus. And, and they would take some scriptures, uh, as you look through, they would talk about the widow of Zarephath, or they would talk about the widow's mites, they would different, do different things like that. Um, the truth is, they would say, uh, poverty is next to godliness, is the way they would put it. Uh, here would be the basic teaching, and there are people that teach this. Uh, teachers, um, that they would teach that uh, we should have a disdain for all possessions, uh, and if you want uh, or own possessions, you're probably not as godly as someone who owns less. And so what the poverty gospel people look around and say, those with less probably love God more. Those with fewer possessions probably love God more. Um, you know, examples, because uh, there, are, there are a lot of examples in Old and New Testament of people who are broke, right? Who did great things. Uh, a number of widows, the, uh, the widow's might, uh, you think in the Old Testament, Ruth and Naomi. Uh, there are a lot of people who really loved God, who had nothing, who lost everything, who were broke. Um, give you a couple of scriptural, scriptures they might use uh, to, or perhaps misuse. Uh, to preach a poverty gospel. These are all legit scriptures. It's just how you interpret it. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 24, what did Jesus say? He says, again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. How many of you, if you were going to preach a poverty gospel, how many of you would use that verse? Yeah, you'd use that. Hey, listen, you're rich. You are not going to go to heaven. Um, and that's when they're old. You get real nice to them right before they die, right? Luke chapter 12, verse 23, uh, Jesus said, Sell all your possessions and give it to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags uh, that do not grow old, with, a treasure, uh, uh, with treasure in the heavens that do not fail, where no thief approaches and no moths can destroy. That's, that, those are a couple of good scriptures, right? If you're going to lean towards poverty is next to godliness, a poverty gospel that you would take. All right, so if that's the poverty gospel... Let's go talk about what are some of the scriptures that prosperity gospels, uh, gospel people would use. And I want you to know both of these extremes are not biblical. Both of these extremes are not biblical. Prosperity gospel, um, they would kind of have the teaching or the thought that wealth, earthly wealth, is the reward of faith and righteousness. Earthly wealth is reward of faith and righteousness. In other words, if you and I love God and have faith in God, we're going to be rich as all get out, all right? We're going to get loaded, right? Now, they might look around at those who have less or who are poverty-ridden, uh, and I might say, well, the, the facts are they just don't have enough faith. Anybody ever heard those kind of a phrase? Uh, they don't have enough faith. They, if they had more faith, they would have more money. Or if they had more faith, same thing in the faith healing thing. If they had more faith, they would be healed. Um, the, the scriptures that they would use, if you want to write down some of these, uh, or I would say they would use or perhaps misuse, 
Uh, James chapter 4, verse 2. James, the brother of Jesus, said, You desire, but you do not have, so you kill, you covet, and you cannot uh, get what you do not want. So you quarrel and fight. Now here's the phrase they would misuse. You do not have because you do not ask God. They would just take that last phrase, right? You do not have because you don't ask. So why are none of us billionaires in the room? Why is no one in the room a billionaire? Because none of us have had the faith to ask God for a billion dollars, right? Now, I want you to know, as your pastor, I am willing to encourage all of y'all to try that out. I want y'all to try all that out, okay? Just remember me and your kingdom. Uh, here's another one that they might use, the prosperity gospel might use. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 29 and 30. Uh, Jesus replied, truly, truly I tell you, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel and will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age as it relates to homes and brothers and sisters and children and fields along with uh, possessions. So what, what are they saying? Hey, if you sacrifice those things, He's going to give them to you a hundredfold. Anybody ever hold, heard a preacher or a teacher say, listen, seed your faith, right? I've always wanted to do that in my 24 years. I'm kidding, Brian. Brian just wanted his, he went, I was kidding. But, you know, wouldn't it be awesome to, for me to just stand up there? Here's what I know. I know two things about my preaching, all right? One, if I preached more about y'all seeding your faith so you could get more possessions, here's what I know you would give more. The second thing I know, if you would give more, is if I would stop preaching this once saved, always saved, y'all would give more. If I would say some of you guys are right on the edge of losing, but if you give to God's kingdom, I guarantee you tithes and offerings would go way up. How many of you agree? How many of you would agree? If, if, you, thought, if you thought money could make sure you stayed into heaven, how many of you think you'd give more? A lot of people would. Now, am I ever gonna do those? No, maybe for Brian, uh, because he distrusted me there for that moment. Uh, there, so, here's the point. Poverty gospel, that's not biblical. Um, hey, it's raining. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Have y'all heard about our new roof? It's, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Uh, but neither is a prosperity gospel. A prosperity gospel is right. So what is the biblical perspective on those two? All right, let me give you the biblical perspective on those. Uh, gospel as it relates to money. Um, first of all, here's what we need, to, we need to understand. Everything belongs to God. It all belongs to God. God gives it out and disseminates it how He wants and how He sees fit. He does. Just like gifts, just like everything. How many of you remember the story of uh, the landowner, the wealthy landowner that went away and he distributed his assets among three of his servants? To one he gave five, to one he gave two, to one he gave one. Why did he give the five, one five five? I don't know. He just said, do something. Why did he give the one two? Two. Why did he give the one one? A lot of people would say something like, well, probably the one that got five uh, was more academic intellectual, had, had, had studied more, was prepared. It doesn't say that in the passage, guys. It just says one of his servants he gave five, one he gave two, and one he gave one. It might have been based on their ability. It might not have been based on their ability. I will tell you what you do as you come to the end. Uh, if you think about that passage, it says the one who he gave five to 
made five more, right? The one who he gave two to, he gave two more. The one who he gave one to, what did he do with it? He took it out and buried it. So now, the number that we're given didn't matter. We're not told in that passage that the ability of the receiver mattered, but what we do know is that the way that the landowner distributed it, less was wasted. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? Wouldn't it have been a bigger impact to the, to the, uh, to the wealthy landowner if the one who had five had buried five? And the one who had one had made two? How many of you know what I'm talking about? So there is an idea that, hey, if you want, man, make sure you're not burying what you have. Before you start asking God for, hey, God, I only have one. Can you give me two? What are you doing with the one? If you say, hey, God, I have two, give me five. What are you doing with the two? Does that make sense? If I have five and you want ten, what are you doing with the five before you go asking God for ten? What are you doing with what you have? So here's the biblical perspective. A poverty gospel doesn't work. And it's not biblical. Neither is a prosperity gospel. Why? If you and I look in Old Testament and New Testament, there are lots of poor people in the Bible. How many of you know that? There are lots of them. But there are lots of wealthy people who love God. How many of you know that? Okay, few of, fewer of you know that. Let me just give you a few. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, then you go through, you got Joseph. You know, he ended up as the second person uh, uh, in the wealth and all the kingdom of, uh, uh, of Egypt. A guy named Job. He was both wealthy and poor. One of the things that, uh, that, that Satan attacked Job about was what? Well, of course, God, he's going to worship you. Look at everything you've given him. He's got the perfect family. Uh, he's got amazing finances. He's got land that, uh, that goes beyond where the sun sets. He's got livestock. He's got everything. He said, you take all that, all, all that away from him, he'll curse you. What is that telling you? Job was the wealthiest man in the town, right? He had, done, he had struck oil. I mean, you go uh, look at other people. Remember I talked about some of the people that were poor, Ruth and Naomi. Who ended up taking care of Ruth and Naomi? A guy named who? Boaz was a wealthy landowner. How many of you know what I'm talking about? If you look into the New Testament, remember Jesus when Jesus was taken off the cross? Who took care of his body? Who had the influence to go to the religious leaders and say, can I take possession of his body? Some dude that had some sway. Does that make sense? So the point is, if you're looking, uh, go, go, look at, go look in Scripture. Uh, the, uh, what is it? Is Mark 10 or 11. It says, Jesus and the disciples moved from town to town, and there were some wealthy ladies that supported their ministry. What does that mean? They were black widows. They had knocked off their husbands and taken all the possessions. I'm kidding. That's not in the Greek. Uh, but so the point is, some of the ministry, going to the New Testament, whether it's men or women, New Testament or Old Testament, the pages of scriptures are littered with people in poverty and who are poor. And the people of scriptures in the New Testament littered with people that are poverty and poor. So I want you to know how much money you have is not a measure of your faith. It's not a measure of your walk with God. It is what it is, right? Now, the truth is there are times that people are lazy. 
Scripture's pretty clear on that. If a man won't, won't work, neither should he eat. Right? So uh, there, there are some people that they don't have much because they're just not willing to work. And Scripture's pretty clear. And Paul was talking to the believers, by the way. He says, if they're not going to work, quit feeding them. They're just looking for a handout. Okay, now that's in the house of God. That was not a government statement. That's in the house of God. But there are other times that we need to understand that, that sometimes we waste, we take risk, we blow it. Sometimes you have a great business and life just falls apart. Go back to 2008. We had a number of people in this church that loved God wholeheartedly. They worked at their jobs or their businesses wholeheartedly. The economy fell apart. Guess what? It wasn't just non-Christians that lost their job in retirement. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There were good, godly people who had been faithful, serving, giving, doing everything, and they lost everything. So I want you to know, money or poverty doesn't necessarily have a direct correlation to our faith and to our walk. What time is it? What time is it, guys? I can't. Okay, so I got, I got 11 minutes. All right, so let's jump into this. All right, let me give you a couple of thoughts. So um, in this passage, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gave us five tests for our money. Five tests for our money. The first one you might want to write down, call it the location test. A location test. Where does your money go? Where does your money go? It's Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. He says, Do not store up for yourself treasures here on earth. A literal translation for this, all right? could be, do not treasure up for yourself treasures on earth. It's the same word, by the way. Store up and treasure, it's the same word. It's the same Greek word. Use the same Greek word, but translated in us, in our language, they change it. Do not store up for yourself treasures here on earth. What's the key word? Somebody tell me, when we talk about uh, uh, location test, what's the key word? Where is the location that we're not supposed to store up for ourselves treasure from this from this part. Do not treasure up for yourself here on earth. So the location test is when you are building treasures, are you building up treasures for yourself? See, the key passage in this phrase is not treasure and treasure, and it's not even earth. The key word is yourself. Do not build up for yourself treasures here on this earth. Does that make sense? I, I, I will just, let's put it to you this way. Uh, that doesn't mean that a wealthy believer who donates a vast amount of resources to a Christian college, that they actually build a building here on this earth, that doesn't mean he's storing it up for himself here on this earth. Does that make sense? Who's he giving it to? The next generation of students, the college, does that make sense? That doesn't mean you can't ever build anything. All right, doesn't mean you can't leave a legacy here, but the point is don't store up for yourself. Remember the story Jesus said there was a, there was a wealthy landowner and he, he says, man, I'm ju I just don't know what to do. My crops are coming in multiplied and fold. And he sat back all fat and happy, rubbing his belly. And he says, man, my barns can't hold everything. I need to tear them down and bigger, build bigger ones. How many of them? What was he doing? He was storing up treasure for himself. So the key first idea, guy, is location. When it comes to your money, well, not whether it's prosperity gospel, not whether it's poverty gospel, it's biblical idea. There are some rich, some poor. There are people in here that we don't all have the same amount of money in our, in our account. 
it's a location test. Where you're make, where you building your treasures? Here on this earth or in heaven? That's number one. But more importantly, are you storing up treasures for yourself or for others? Or for others? I will just tell you that, that part of what I see and, and what God has done here through our staff and through our deacons and through our church and through all of us, this building that we have, we are leaving it for the next generation. I will tell you, and, and, and if you've been around here a long time, you've heard me say that my greatest desire is before we retire is to have, this, have all the debt on this facility totally paid off so we can hand our keys to the next generation and say, now go do incredible ministry. Does that make sense? Because incredible ministry is happening here. I, I will never want you to put, not that you would, a statue of me out back or out front. This, is not, this building is not a legacy to my great leadership. So I've never written a book on how God got us here because the facts are he just had to drag me kicking and screaming. Uh, that's a lot of the way God does it. But here's the location test, guys. Where are your treasures and where are you building up treasures? And are those treasures for you or for someone else? Here's the second thing that Jesus said. It would be the durability test. You might want to write down a durability test. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Uh, let me go back. I want to read a little further. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures here on this earth uh, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. That's a durability test, all right? Uh, yes, that's right. Uh, everybody grab uh, your coffee cup because we're going to need to put them some different places around here in a second. Uh, it's a durability test. And I, I love what we're saying here. I love what we see here. Um, he, he uses, he says, where moth and rust destroy. As you think about those words, and then he says, where thieves won't break in and steal. He uses two interesting analogies here. Where moth and rust destroy. In those days... Uh, you say, why would he use moth? Well, in those days, uh, people didn't always know you by the car you drove, how rich you were, uh, or how big your house was. How would they look at you and how would they recognize whether you were poor or rich with their eye? You got it, your clothes. That's why he's talking about the moth. He says, if someone walks up to you and there are holes all in what they're wearing that moths have eaten it up, you know that they're not rich, right? Because a rich person usually had, had, had bedazzled all of their clothes and you know had, had all the jewelry in it and stuff like that. And so what he's saying, that's why it's so important when he talks about moth here. He's not just talking about anything. He's talking about people, when you walk into church, and you look around, you can see rich person, poor person, rich person, poor, poor person, based on what they wear. We can kind of do this even today, can't you? Uh, although some of what our kids pay a lot of money for, I'm like, dude, it used to take me six, eight months to tear my jeans up like that. You're, you're paying a premium. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Isn't it weird? I'm like, man, I was always looking to get rid of those or my mom would iron a nice patch over my uh, jeans. What kind of jeans did I wear growing up, Ryan? 
No, they weren't rough house. Husky. Was that a really good name brand growing up? I think that was absolute. That was pre-Walmart. That was like, I think that was at the True Value Ace Hardware my mom brought my jeans from, along with my groceries. Uh, so when you hear moth, he's talking about clothing. And, and then notice the word where thieves would break in and steal. That Greek word, uh, that Greek word is, is to dig through. Think about in those days, how would a thief get into your house? You would usually have some sort of safe built into the wall of the house. What were their houses made of in those days? A lot of thatch, a lot of clay, a lot of what? And so a thief would slip in. They wouldn't break in the door. They would just begin to dig a hole in the side of the house and they'd reach in and grab all the possessions. So what is he saying? If you store everything up right here and you put it in your clothes, it doesn't matter. Eventually, they're going to... Where do all clothes eventually end up? Goodwill, right? My, my daughter, uh, Jensen, I know I've taught her well. Uh, she's my finance accounting major. You know where she shops all the time? Thrift stores. And she comes home with some of the coolest looking stuff. And she goes, Dad, I paid $2.99 for that. And I'm like, it's good to be a third owner sometimes. That's some really nice stuff. So the durability test. Guys, when you think about where you spend your money... Is it going to last? Or are you spending your money on stuff like clothes that are going to be worthless here in a while? Or where someone can step in and steal it and take it? So the first, first test is location, where, you spend, where you're building your treasures. Two is durability. Will it last? Here's number three, your heart test. It's the heart test talked a little bit about this a few minutes ago, the heart test. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You can look at that two, one of two ways. Either your heart follows your treasures or your treasures follow your heart. Regardless of the way you want to look at that, and by the way, it can be translated either way from the original language. Regardless of whatever the way you look at that, here's what we do know. This is the irrefutable truth. Your treasure and your heart will always end up in the same place. Doesn't matter which one gets there first. If you go buy something really nice, your eye is going to be watching out for that, right? It's going to be keen. Your heart's going to be for that. If your heart goes somewhere, you're going to bring the money with it. Does that make sense? And so as you think back on your finances and you think about building God's kingdom and what you're doing for God's kingdom, um, are your heart and treasure in the same place? Let me, let me rephrase that. Your heart and your treasure is in the same place. There are a lot of people who come to church a lot and their heart's not here either. They're checking the box is exactly what they're doing. They've slipped into a cultural Christianity that they think I can show up, I can, I, I can critique and I can praise and I can do a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but I don't have to bring any of my treasures. I will tell you, and this isn't me speaking, this is Jesus speaking. If that's you, you better check your heart. You better check your heart. I will tell you, there were some seasons when you got four kids and 1.3 of them were in, uh, in college. 
let me, let me tell you, your heart better be in God's kingdom if you're still going to give more than 10%. Because it's always easy to say, you know, let me trim back a little bit here. A little bit. Is your heart where your treasure is? Is your treasure where your heart is? It is. It always is, guys. It always is. So that's meant to be an encouragement, not a chastisement. But check where your treasures are. Here's the fourth test. You ready? The intellectual test. Jesus gives us an intellectual test. He says, think about it. He says, uh, be honest. No one can serve two masters. There's the intellectual test. No one can serve two masters. What's going to happen? You're going to love the one, hate the other, hate one, love the other, right? He says, man, who are you trying to serve? Are you trying to serve your selfish desires, your own pleasures, your own things? Or are you trying to serve God? No one can serve two masters. In Luke chapter 16, verse 10, here's what Jesus says. Whoever, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. Whoever can, is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Now, if you take that idea... If you're unfaithful with little, you're going to be unfaithful with much. Now take it back into the passage of the steward that I said earlier. Maybe that's why Jesus gave the five to one and the two to one and the one to the one. Why? Maybe that's why he did. Not because he was intellectually smarter, not because he was better with ability, but God, but Jesus knew, or the landowner, that's the whole idea of a kingdom parable, is this guy's trustworthy. I can give him more. This guy's trustworthy. I can give him more. This guy's not trustworthy. I'm not going to give him more. So there's an intellectual test. You can't serve two masters. Either you're going to serve God or you're going to serve money. And here's the last one. You ready? Here's the fifth one. A devotion test. A devotion test. So as we think about these tests, the location test, where you're building your treasures, the durability test, will it last? A heart test, where your heart is, there will a treasure also be also. The intellectual test, just think about it, guys. You can't serve both God and money. And then the last one, the devotion test. What did Jesus say? Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted. There's the devo devoted test, verse 24. You will be devoted to the one, and you will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot. Jesus says it is physically, emotionally, uh, uh, intellectually, spiritually. It is impossible to serve both God and your money. So guys, there is what I believe is the biblical gospel when it relates to money. I'm not a prosperity gospel, and I believe that's biblically wrong because I see lots of God-honoring poor people in the Bible. I'm not a poverty gospel guy because I see a lot of very wealthy people in the Bible who live God-honoring lives. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I'm a biblical gospel guy. I don't know why there have been, I've met some of the most godly people I've ever met who just seem to struggle putting two pennies together. Anybody know someone like that? Just as good as gold, you know their treasure, whatever treasure they have and their heart is with God and His kingdom. You ever known anybody like that? They just, that's just who they are. You know, maybe, maybe they choose to be a school teacher or something. I don't know if y'all know this, you're not going to get that wealthy being a school teacher. Uh, you know, they, they've chosen to do this or just something happened, but they love God. There are other people 
who love God immensely. And it's like everything they touch turns to gold. Anybody know anybody like that? Be their friend, by the way, and introduce them to me. So it's not an either or, guys. But there's a real simple test. Where's your money? That's where your heart is. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these guys. Thank you so much for uh, the opportunity just to talk a little bit about money uh, in a setting that we're not talking about tithing, we're not talking about giving. We're just talking about a biblical perspective on money, that there are many people who love you with all their heart, all their mind, all their soul, and they have very little, very few financial resources. There are other people that love you, God, with all their heart, mind, and soul, and they have loads of money and can do great good. God, neither is more righteous than the other. But God, most of us in this room, we're not uh, living in abject poverty. We are not blown away with amazing wealth. Instead, we're somewhere in that middle, but the principle still applies. Where our money is, there will our heart be also. God, let it be with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.